Hey, it's Jeff here. After working as an automotive tech for almost 25 years, I can honestly say that finding employment with the right shop has been the difference maker between loving what I do every day or hating my career choice. Let me tell you, I've been there, but I've also had jobs where work didn't really feel like work. I love the challenge of fixing cars. So loving what I do, that's the easy part. Finding a good place to do it in, now that's been the struggle. And that's where my friends at ProMotive knock it out of the park. They're a recruitment company specializing in jobs for our automotive industry. A-techs, B-techs, master techs, service advisors, managers, you name it. They are constantly looking for applicants in automotive to link them with available job postings at only the best vested shops around the country. ProMotive has a team of professional recruiters that can help you with your resume, prep you for the interview process, and negotiate the best pay and benefits package for you. And best of all, it's free to anyone looking to gain employment. Check them out at gopromotive.com slash Jeff. gopromotive.com slash Jeff. Just think, you could be just five minutes away from finding your dream job. It's frustrating for me for a multitude of reasons. I'm not one foot out the door, but it's like, I know that I'm not going to be in this shop long term. And I've had this conversation with the shop owner that I work for. And so I happen to know that if I wasn't moving, he would really like to have me basically buy him out and take over the shop, which is hard because it's I, that's what I want to do. The position that I'm walking away from here as a, a way to step into shop ownership is something that I've been working towards basically since I was a mobile mechanic. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to another exciting, thought-provoking episode of the Jaded Mechanic Podcast. My name is Jeff, and I'd like to thank you for joining me on this journey of reflection and insight into the toils and triumphs of a career in automotive repair. After more than 20 years of skin knuckles and tool debt, I want to share my perspectives and hear other people's thoughts about our industry. So pour yourself a strong coffee or grab a cold Canadian beer and get ready for some great conversation. Uh, with me tonight, I got a um, a young man, uh, Andrew Clement um, from Rogue Wrenching. Now, uh, Rogue Wrenching is a YouTube channel, so his name is not Andrew Rogue. If you see him talking in the uh, ASAW group or changing industry, it's actually Andrew Clement. But Rogue, Rogue Wrenching is his YouTube channel, and for all intents and purposes, his business. So, um, without further ado. Welcome, Andrew. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. It's a very generous introduction. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting that. Oftentimes, that's the highlight of the whole episode is the introduction, just giving you fair warning. So, yeah, that's that's okay. That's okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's. I'm good. I'm good. We're very we're very warm. If you listen to my episode with um, Sean yeah. over on the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast, uh, we yeah. are coming off a little bit of a heat wave today. Wasn't too bad. I don't. I think we only got up to like maybe 105 today. We're, we're cooling off. Yeah. But we did in in July, we did 31 or 32 days over 110 degrees Fahrenheit. So I don't know how you yeah. guys measure that up in, in Canadian maple leaves, but we use Fahrenheit. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and it's 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 weird up here because some people use Fahrenheit and some people use Celsius. I, I use Fahrenheit. To me, Celsius, because there was this... I was in the public school system when it was, they started to switch and then they switched back in terms. And and to me, it's always not made a whole lot of sense. 
Yeah, exactly. Because it's like up here, everything's in kilometers, right? Instead of miles. But for instance, if you're still, people are talking about, like if you want to order a thermostat or you want to look at about like scanned out on a scan tool in a lot of information, it's still printed as like a 180 degree thermostat. You know what I mean? Same with tire yeah. pressure is still, most people refer to it as pounds per square inch. And everybody's like, well, shouldn't you know that in KPA? No. Nobody says how many no. kilopascals. <laughs> um, yeah, I had an interesting conversation. I actually um, did an episode with Cody Gotti of Cody's Auto Diagnostics. He's in Arizona. And he was saying the same thing. Like he had like 30 some days where it was above 108. And he, you know, he tries to go out early in the morning and, uh, yeah, come in. And so he's out in the parking lot doing a lot of his stuff, right? Yeah, so he said, <laughs> if he can get where works. it's like, yeah, he's he's gone to where he's pretty much just doing programming when it's this hot and not actually getting diet because he says, like, you'll touch the tools and the tools are, well, you know what it's like, can be 120, 130 yeah. degrees. To yeah, the when, touch, when you pick the so. tool up and it burns your hand, that kind of yeah. I, it just... I don't want to say it, it reduces your will to live, but it definitely makes you wonder, like, why are we doing this? Like, well, you know, it it's like I, I burned my hand on the tool. It's yeah, it's bad enough. It's bad enough to burn yourself on a hot engine. But then it's like when you pick up the tool to fix the hot engine and that tool burns you, it's just like it's just adding insult to injury at that point. Yeah. You start questioning life choices at that point. So, right. And yeah. why, why so, am I here smashing my knuckles? Uh huh. So you are. I was, again, we were listening to the podcast that just got dropped with Sean Tipping and um, you're predominantly a diesel tech or that's your specialty, right? You, you work on everything in it. Yeah. So I'm, I, I like to say my, my specialty is in, is in light duty diesel. So think your, uh, your pickup, pickup truck diesel is, I don't know if you guys call them pickup yeah. trucks, if you guys are weird up there. Uh, pickup we're truck diesel is what, up. is what I specialize in. And that's kind of where I got my start as far as the first I guess we'll call it a real job that I had. I, I worked, I started, I started my career as a mobile, mobile mechanic. And oh, I was okay. working for a, I was working for an outfit. I was just, it was a straight like 1099 contractor. I made a straight percentage of the profit margin on parts and labor. The way that it worked was the guy that owned the company had a, like a, a voicemail basically a voicemail set up. There's like an 800 number and it, go, it just went to a voicemail. Even when he was working, it always went to a voicemail. And then he had an app that would transcribe that voicemail and he would, he could just hit a button and then send me a link to that transcribed voicemail from a customer. And then I call him back. I schedule the work. I go out, I do the work. I, I source the parts. Like I am, I am everything. I'm the service advisor. I'm the estimator. I'm the technician. I'm the quality yeah. control. Like I did everything all at once, which was really good. I think life experience. Just dealing, mm -hmm. dealing with people, learning, learning to be able to interpret, you know, a, a customer's description of a problem, like yep. from a life experience and also appreciate the job that service advisors do. And that, that was good for me. Now, <laughs> as a technician, that is the worst possible way to start your career. Yeah. Like, yeah. like there's just, there's no way there are so many. I was a hack. Like I will I will <laughs> oh. freely and publicly admit that. I was like the worst hack that you could ever imagine was who I was. And I hate that because I hate hacks so much now. Like it <laughs> irritates me to no end, and that was a hundred percent me. Just to give you an idea of how how much of a hack I was. Now just 
also for reference, this is like now, I think about eight years ago. I've been, so I've been doing, I've been full-time in a shop for become, I think I just passed seven years full-time in a shop. I was mobile for about a year before that. And the hackiest thing that I ever did or ever, I think I ever said, cause it wasn't that I, I don't know what I screwed up on the job. It was a Jeep. I think it was a Jeep Patriot starter that I put in. And the problem that mm-hmm. complaint was a no crank, no start. And my boss had gone out and, and done the diag and called the starter, but it was a friend of my boss's. And so he had me go do it, but he gave the guy a discount, which is great, except for I make a percentage of profit. So that discount comes squarely yeah. out of my check. So I was already a little, I was not happy about that to begin with, but I put the starter in and it made it like a nasty grinding noise when it engaged. And I, and I am ashamed to admit this publicly, but with a straight face, sold this guy that that was a starter break in noise. And about 30% of all the starters that we put in have this noise. It's nothing to worry about. If it's still there in two weeks, give us a call. We'll come and swap you out a new starter, which basically right. meant I'm not coming back because the starter was a pain. Like it just, it, that one whooped me. Like I don't, for whatever reason, that one was really hard. I struggled with it. And I was like, if I can get this guy to wait a week and then call my boss, will come deal with it. And I don't have to deal with it. And yeah, mm-hmm. started breaking noise. There's, yeah. As as a professional technician now, I know that is not a thing. <laughs> I knew it wasn't a thing then, to be honest with you. Like, <laughs> so uh, not to interrupt yeah. or cut you. Off, I mean, I've done I've done a fair share of road service as well. And I mean, when you say hacky, I want to reiterate that for some people, when you're going out, what the big thing is is to get the thing started, or to get the thing running, or sure. to get it off the road, sure, or get it where they can get it right so that's when we see some stuff sometimes and it's like who did that you know the driver or the owner or the operator is going to say oh you should have seen the guy he won't admit that yeah it was three in the morning it was blowing snow like uh i was right nobody was there to hold the open yeah yeah there's there's a time and a place for it's just you just got to get it done you know we've got to get this thing back on the road no ifs ands or buts it's just got to be and i and, and like i get that but most of what I did was like the n- not first of all, when I, when I was working mobile, I thought I had all the tools that I ever needed and they all fit into mm-hmm. the back of a Ford Bronco, like yep. behind the back seat of the back of a Ford Bronco. It was like two toolbox. It was like a, a crap or wasn't a craftsman. What was it? We have a home depots, our big box Husky. home improvement store yeah. in here and they sell Husky, which is a yeah. fabulous fact. If any of you guys are listening, and you're thinking about getting into this. Husky tools are a great place to start. That's where I started. I still have a ton of them. But I had a Husky toolkit. It was like a $200, you know, 198-piece whatever kit. You know, some deeps, some shallows, just your basic yeah. stuff. A $20 set of screwdrivers. I think the most advanced diagnostic tool I had was I had a code reader um, and a Noid-like kit. And, yeah. and that was that was kind of it. And I didn't know how to use either of them. I mean, I like I thought I did at the time. And now that now that I know... Now that I'm actually, I would argue, pretty good at this job, I, I I cannot believe the amount of cars that are still running after I worked on them. But there was there there were a lot of bad habits I picked up working mobile, and I think yeah. I think that was huge. I, I remember that that really hit me. My first my first real job was in a a diesel a diesel shop or a shop that worked on they worked on pickup trucks. They were well known in the area. Um, I worked in Southern Oregon. It was a shop called Wolf Performance. They were they're the okay. go to shop 
for everything, everything diesel. People, people would, we had people, customers that would drive hours, like come up, coming up from California, coming in from the coast, two to three hours away, drive past all the other diesel shops to come to us because we, we got stuff done and we did it right. We did it right the first time. And so I got a job with this shop, which is mainly because the, the young lady that I was marrying, her dad was a service advisor for this shop and he lined me up for an interview and somehow I talked the owner into hiring me. <laughs> yeah. Which he may have regretted. But anyway, our first, the, I remember the first big job I did. It was like a weekend. I was doing cylinder heads on a 93 Ford diesel. And there I was, I was going back together. Everything felt great. And there was one like wiring clip and I just, I couldn't for the life of me figure out where it went. Like there, mm -hmm. there was a, a little eye and like a bolt went through it, but I couldn't figure out what bolt or where. And it was, and I'm like, it's on the back of the engine. You can't see it. I'm like, who cares? Just leave it off. Cause that's what I had been doing for a year. Yeah. Anyways, the next, the next morning, the truck's done. It's sitting outside a little bit cold up there and the truck won't start. And it's just white smoke out the exhaust, which is usually on the, this particular vehicle is a, a glow plug issue. There's not enough heat in the cylinders mm. to get the diesel to ignite. So my, my boss comes out to take a look at it. And, and I mean, like, I'm not exaggerating with this. His, his hand comes up on the hood and like before the hood's all the way open, he's like, why didn't you put that bolt on? And I was like, how did you see that? Like, yeah, it just, it, it blew my mind. Now, now knowing what I know, um, that little wire tab is the ground for the glow plug controller. And yeah. if you don't have that attached to a ground, it doesn't work. But that yep. like it that clicked in my head. I'm like, oh, there's a correct way to do this stuff. And there's mm -hmm. a there's a right way and a wrong way to repair vehicles. And I've always been like, well, if it was broken when I got there, it's, you know, if it's if it's not within the realm of what I'm fixing, if there's a missing bolt or something, it's like, yeah, who cares? It, it was like that when I got it. Yeah. And that shifted my mindset to being to more than when, moving away from that wire was broken, that component was broken, that bolt was missing, whatever, this wire was routed wrong when I got here. It shifted from that to it needs to be as close to how it rolled off the showroom floor as possible when it leaves my hands. When someone comes in here behind me, I want them to look at this and go, wow, no one's been in here before. This is still all factory. Yeah. And I've definitely shifted more. To, now, you can't always do that. Mm -hmm. know, customer budget is a real thing. But... I don't do that sort of hack stuff anymore. Now I'm very, I'm very particular with how I go. I mean, I'm, I'm the guy that on a, a six liter power stroke. So you're 2003 and a quarter through 2007. I'm the guy that opens it up and like, I, I open the hood and I'm, there's a couple like little details. Like there's one spot where a wire harness routes behind a fuel line. But if yeah. you don't know that the way you would normally put this thing together, you'd end up with a wire harness in front of the fuel line. doesn't affect it at all. But I know that's yeah. how it's supposed to be. And so I open a hood yeah. and like you see that and you go, okay, so somebody didn't know what they were doing. You, you know, you look over here at this, at these nuts and these nuts have a captured washer. The other ones don't. They're both 10 millimeters. They're both the same thread pitch. So you can switch them around. But it's like those nuts aren't the right one. You know, and it's the little details that you pick up on. And what I've, in my experience found is that the guys that pay attention to those little, the little details, you know, you got five 10 millimeter nuts in your, in your little tray. And you know that these three that match each other go on this this component here that has three nuts, and these two go on this one. 
You know, when when yeah. you have guys that are paying attention to the details like that, they're typically, I mean, generally speaking, very thorough technicians. Yeah, you know, they're not they're not just throwing stuff together. And, yeah, because and so that, I, mentality, I, that mentality sorry. translates into into their own process, right? How they approach. Um, starting the job, finishing the job, how they, how they attack the job, how they attack the problem. It's all a detailed thing, right? It's, 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 yeah, I wish I was more like that. <laughs> I've got some bad habits too. Cause it's just, and what I find like if you work on stuff that is like, I mean, I, I spent the better part of this morning working on a 96 Yukon that is like an end of life trash pile. Um, nothing <laughs> is weird. Nothing was yeah. ever like, I mean, it's probably on its third set of doors, right? Like you're, you're putting window regulators and, and, you know, there is no factory rivets to drill out. There is no, there is no push pins left in any of the panels. Like the panels have all been yeah. already screwed on with wood screws. Like it's just a mess. And yeah. it's very hard sometimes when you get those kind of things to hold yourself to a better standard because you're just like you know me i'm already like scratching my arms up doing a door regulator in one of those and then i just hate it and nothing fits and it's just like grr you know and you just want to yeah. get oh yeah it's it's extremely frustrating when you come in to a, a vehicle like that that's been well well used or um overly diy'd <laughs> i don't have anything it's, against people that diy their stuff half my youtube channel is showing people how to do you know repairs on on their vehicles and i'm all like i i diy everything but the difference is like i do this for a living so you know when mm -hmm. i do timing chains on my uh, my wife's car it's like i can do timing chains and know they're done right it's not like that's not a yeah. diy type thing but like when you get into these cars that have just been used and abused and not not taken care of by someone that has the same professional standards as i do and I'm mm -hmm. not not trying to be arrogant in saying that, but just the difference between a vehicle that has been serviced by a qualified technician its entire life versus the vehicle that has been serviced by the cheapest guy its entire life. There, you know, you get you get to you know two hundred thousand miles, and they're very different vehicles to work on. Even if it's the same car, yeah. you know, the guy that is always the cheapest guy. He's always complaining about how his car is always breaking down. And the guy that spends money to repair the vehicle thinks he's got a great car. And the difference is yeah. not the vehicle you started with. It's what you did with it and how you cared for it over the life of its, of its, uh, I guess over its life. So that's, yeah. that's, I think a, a big frustration for me, especially in the diesel world, because so like six liter power strokes that, that Oh three to Oh seven range is is kind of what I cut my teeth on as far as getting into this field and like getting my foot in the door of a niche that not a lot of guys can do and I can do it and I can do it fast. You know, guys are guys yeah. are pulling cabs to do these to do cylinder heads on these things because they blow head gaskets all the time. And in my back in my heyday when I was doing I mean I was I was doing a couple a week like head gasket after yep. head gasket after head gasket. I mean I I had a process down. I'm a lot I'm a lot slower now because it's been four or five years since I was ex almost exclusively doing six liter heads. But mm -hmm. the book calls for 25 hours. I was I was paid hourly at the time, and I could get from the time you turn the key off, pulling the truck into the shop, to the time the cylinder heads hit the bench in less than three hours. And wow, there's not a lot of guys that can do that with a Honda, much less yeah. a 20 hour head job on a on a on a diesel. So it's like I got really really good at that. And that's kind of what I've 
kind of specialized in, but so many people don't understand the different, you know, I mean, like the engine is an assembly, right? But there's different systems within that engine. You've got a, a cooling system, a lubrication system. On on these trucks, you've got a, a high pressure oil system. And there's a there's a method to repairing them that it costs money. It co- it's a decent chunk to do it right. It, it's what people traditionally refer to as bulletproofing with a few tweaks. But it's like, yeah. if you do it all and you do it right, you can make these trucks really reliable. And I, I ran into this a couple months ago with a guy and I said, dude, this is what we need to do. And we need to do all this other stuff. And he goes, well, that stuff's not broken. No, it's not. Like you're one of the things I do when everything's apart is we put a cam sensor in because the cam sensors have a, not a high failure rate, but they like, usually they leak is more of their issue. And the cam sensor is $35. And it's yeah. 20 seconds to pop it out when I've got the heads and the front cover off and everything's apart, right? Or it's an hour and a half to do it when it's all put together. So it's like, yes, we're spending more money, but then we're doing it right. And we're not having an issue come back. And it's frustrating when you try to sell a customer on do all of this stuff and then you're going to have a great product and they go, no, I'm going to do this piece and I'm going to do that piece and that's all that I want to do. Yep. And you do those two things and it comes back with a problem. And they're now they're going, well, you didn't fix my truck. It's like, no, I did. I fixed yeah. this piece and I fixed this piece. If you did what I recommended, you wouldn't you wouldn't be here. And like I said, I I under, I understand that money is a thing, right? Like I'm <laughs> I'm an automotive technician, dude. I get money. Um but sometimes I feel like customers and this might be a fail a breakdown in the service service advisor role they look at trying to sell you on a package deal as just a shady mechanic trying to take care, take advantage of you, not someone that genuinely cares about a positive outcome for this vehicle and wanting to fix it correctly. Yeah. And that's frustrating. Well, see, my biggest argument is always seen is that advisors, it's like traditionally, from my experience, not painting them all with the same brush, they always look at it as if the right repair is going to be seven thousand dollars and the customer has a budget of fifty five hundred it's better to get fifty five hundred than none at all right and uh, I understand where that thinking comes from uh, and sometimes they do it two ways right they they leave repairs off like you said that are going to improve the quality of the repair or they want to start shaving time or look for overlap or you know take money off the tech. The reality is, is that the way I see it, and I talked to my friend, Brian, Brian Pollock and I, we talk about this all the time. Everything is a process and it's my process and our process. It's not the customer's process. The customer doesn't dictate the process. Now, the customer's budget may dictate what they are hoping to achieve, but it doesn't sure. dictate the process that the proper repair is, right? Yeah. So we shouldn't, this as, is as the, the professional, we shouldn't let this is something that we've run into in our, in the shop that I work for quite a bit in the last few months is a customer Mm -hmm. comes in and they want to steer the boat with where they want to go with this repair. And as, as professionals that know that understand these vehicles, we understand what's going on with a vehicle and then being like, okay, Mr. Customer, that's fine. You know, you want, you want us to go this route. We can definitely go that route for you if you want. But then it's like, we know this isn't going to fix it. We're spending his money for no reason yeah. because that he wanted yeah. to try it and and so often that's it ends up where 
when we end up not charging for repair because we feel bad or whatever, the customer doesn't want to pay for the repair because the car is not fixed. And like you wouldn't go to the doctor and then tell him how to figure out what's wrong with you. Right. Mm -hmm. You go to a professional for their expertise. So why, why should we as professionals let someone who is not a professional who doesn't understand the system steer the boat? Mm. So let me ask you a question. Why you, you mentioned how it's, it's happening pretty recently at your shop. Um, now I say your shop, your place of employment. It's not your business. I was gonna say, let's right? be clear. I don't own um, it yet. Someday, someday I'd well, like to own a shop, yeah. but right now it's so, just where I work. So why is it happening? That they're coming so in like that. Like where's the have, breakdown? We have a, we, well, the, it's the front counter. Um, okay. we are running right now. So we just had a new guy start yesterday. Um, I've talked to him for like 30 seconds. I don't really know him. I know he's really slow and he's not very attentive to detail because he almost cooked the car today. Um, it was sputtering because it was getting so hot and overheating. It was vaporizing the fuel and it wasn't running out of fuel. It was like glowing red. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Neither here nor there. But we've got, let's see here. We've got five with the new guy. We've got five full-time techs. And we have one tech that's like half. Honestly, he's probably three quarter tech and a quarter well, foreman. Yeah. The thing is, he's never going to listen to this podcast because he's not into any kind of like education. So I can, I, I'm not going to talk bad about him, but he's a, obviously I'm, I'm a younger guy. I've only been doing this for about eight years and, mm-hmm. but I've been in, I've been in a lot of, I've been in a lot of different shops that are like magnets for problem cars. So every shop that I've worked in has been the shop that all the surrounding shops send their problem cars to. So I've been in shops yeah. that are seeing hard, challenging vehicles all the time for like the majority of my career. And so I have a really, I, I like to think that I have a really well-rounded experience because I've seen a ton of problems. I've worked in high, high volume shops that see all the stupid stuff. My shop foreman, he's young. He's younger than me. Now, granted, it's by like 30 days, but he's younger than me. Um, We have a a shop full of, we have a shop full of young guys and we've got five, five, five and three quarter techs and one service advisor. Like we have one guy that works the front counter. And then when he goes to lunch, the shop, the shop foreman sits in at his desk for an hour while he's at lunch. And there's no we don't have any processes processes we don't have a process for a lot of this stuff it's just kind of the way we've always done it and there's kind of this like i guess see to your pants feel as far as what we're doing but there's no like written down this is how we this is this is how we take in a car these are the steps that we do take in a car these this this is how it you know the car comes in it gets dispatched to a technician the technician looks at it we order parts like there's no there's no set process that it's kind of jokingly thrown around the shop, but it's kind of how we operate. It's uh, you break, I fix. And okay. that's like the extent of our, our process. And, and so we have a lot of stuff that breaks down with our, our one, because we have one guy that works the front end. So he's answering the phones, he's taking appointments. He's, you know, talking to customers, writing up estimates. He's doing all this stuff and stuff gets, gets dropped or he forgets about it. And 
because he's rushed when a customer says, Hey, I want to do this. He goes, okay, sure. We can do that. And he ends up, I think taking some, some pressure from customers that whether or not the customer should be applying that pressure, you know, we could have that discussion, but customers come in and they say, I, I want this. And, and he's very much the type of person that wants, wants to help everybody and, and, and fix everything. And our, mm. the, the owner who was, so this shop, the shop that I work for has been around. So I've been there for two years now, a little over two years. And the shop had only been a shop for like a year and a half before I was hired. So very, very young okay. shop. And the guy that owns it came out of like heavy trucks, like over the road trucks okay. and like heavy diesel stuff. Is what he did before. And so we don't have, there's not a really good system that's put into place. It's just kind of been like people came in with broken stuff and we started fixing it. And the, the owner's view has always been, we get it done. That's like, that's our slogan on our t-shirts is, is we get it done. And he doesn't yep. say no to anything. Like nobody calls and you know, he'll get a call and it's like, Hey, I got a, a, a wood chipper trailer and it, it, it needs a service. Yep. Can you guys do it? Yeah, absolutely. Bring it down. It's like, dude, we take, we've, there's a, yeah. there is right now, there's a tractor sitting in our, our back parking lot that we brought in. We split the, I don't even know what it's, we'd split the tractor in half took the engine out, found there was a hole in the cylinder wall and it sat in our shop for like three months. And then we pushed it outside because we can't find an engine for it. And it's just, it's been sitting there for a year now. And it's like, yeah. why are we doing this? Why are we taking in great, great waste of resources stuff that is taking away from the cars out in the parking lot that are. And we're taking away from that just so we can feel good because we can fix anything here. Yeah. He sounds like he needs some training. See, yeah. I would agree with that. And I was, I, so I started mm. listening to uh, the Changing the Industry podcast. When I found it, it was called that. And then I, I'm like, okay, I'm out of stuff. I keep like going back to like older and older episodes because I need something new to listen to. And I'm like, oh, it was the ASOG podcast. I didn't even know that until I got back to like episode 99 or whatever they, they changed the name. But uh, there was like stuff yeah. that I'm hearing and I'm just like, huh, that makes sense. Like, because I'm, I'm a very observant person like i watch what's going yep. on always aspired to end up in some kind of a management role and little little things that i've i've noticed in like listening to the podcast and listening to different guests on the podcast specifically like um they had cecil on as a guest and it was like all the stuff that they're all saying makes sense and i'm like guys what if we change this? And I said to my boss, and he was like, "Oh yeah, all those guys—they've got their own way of doing things. It just doesn't work like that here." And I could, I could hear, I could hear <laughs> Lucas in my mind going, "Yes, it does." <laughs> yeah, and Cecil will tell you of all the coaches, or excuse me, of all the shops that Cecil's ever coached, he's only seen two examples in twenty plus years of where somebody could legitimately say that won't work here. And he said it had to do with because they were already in an oversaturated market. And there was just like there was already too many shops that just it was it was so the Cecil hates that excuse, right? We we joke oh, about I, it because yeah. it's the same thing. Even starting to see other techs joke about it too. It was oh it won't work here. You know, and 
it's such a stupid answer because it won't work here. Well, who is in control that is keeping it from working? Well, you, ideally, you're the one that's your business. So then it becomes a stupid thinking ideal of it's the situations around me that stop it from working. That's BS. That's, you know, the shop down the road is not caring what you do or how you do it, right? If you're caring what the shop down the road is doing, you're already losing because they, I guarantee they don't care. They may gripe and complain about customers or your rates or whatever, but they're not, they're not having a direct impact on how you do your business. That at the end of the day is still your choice to charge what you charge or take in the clientele that you take in. And it's nobody else is responsible for you. So if you think that you're forced to do it, you've already lost. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. We have a, a we have, no, no, by all means, that's, that's why they call it the Jaded Mechanic <laughs> Podcast. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, we have a, there's a, a chain, a fran- I guess franchise chain that is, is kind of, mm-hmm. I don't know if taking off is the right word, becoming more popular, at least in this, in this corner of the world. Um, it is the Christian Brothers franchise. I'm not sure if you're Heard familiar with them. I've met some technicians that worked for them and I was not impressed. I've heard, heard of the way that some things are done and I'm not super impressed. However, my father-in-law was worked as a, a service advisor for a Christian brothers location for about a year. And the amount of money that they make is mm-hmm. like, it, it's, it's, it's in my head, it seems ridiculous because I've never worked for a shop that charged like that. And yeah, they, they have, they have a high, they have a high labor rate. They have a labor rate that moves depend. They have like multiple different labor rates that, and depending on the job, it falls into different categories and technicians are paid very well. Their service advisors are paid very well. And the, and the franchise owner makes a ton of money and the customers Mm -hmm. love them. And right that's kind of what I've learned, which is maybe just because I listen to David and Lucas too much. But what I've learned is there's a difference between cost and yeah, half of our problem in the shops that I've worked for is that we're not giving the customer the value that is proportionate to, to the cost. Yeah. So when, so for example, we had a truck the other day that was a uh, it was an unable to duplicate customer concern on an intermittent problem i got into the car which for codes there were no codes i listened to the customer's description you know did a visual inspection under the hood you know i did 45 minutes of, of driving to try to get this thing to fail you know tried all the different you know like there's a whole like i wrote out a story of all the stuff that i did and the at at the end of it, the advisor to the to the customer was, we couldn't figure out. Here's your car back, no charge. Now I get paid hourly, so it doesn't yeah. come out of my check. But it's like, dude, right. we did the work. We had a highly skilled person spending mm-hmm. time using our expensive diagnostic equipment to to try to find the problem, and your car didn't have the problem. It doesn't mean it's free. It shouldn't be free. Right. You know, you go no. to the dentist for a cleaning and they do an x-ray and they, oh, you don't have any cavities. Great. They still charge you for the x-ray. You know, they're still doing a service. 
And on on build on build time is is my is my nemesis in this industry because unbuilt time is what is always not calculated into the work that's performed versus what somebody is entitled to get for compensation. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, yeah, well, your production wasn't good, but we also did 10 jobs for charity last month, right? Where we didn't bill. We had 45 minutes here, 15 minutes there. The, The idea that that's still happening and that, for two things, the idea that tech still allow it to happen, and I don't care because it's it's well okay you're getting into the flat rate thing. No, it shouldn't. I think where my goal for 2020 the next year is to try and get people to understand that everything needs to be logged, the time, the minute that you spend on it, whether you charge for it or not. I don't give a flip. I don't care if you want to run yourself out of business doing charity. That's your prerogative. Good for you. Yeah. If it gets you into heaven, gets you into hell, whatever is the end goal, I'm I'm proud of you. Good for you. But I leverage and I'm evaluated on how many hours I turn. If I spend an hour in a car that we don't bill for, I can't I don't have that to be able to to say this is what I'm worth. Right? So yeah. it's a situation of it's a double-ended sword that's always been used against techs when, you know, we feel like we need to give charity away. But what it does is you feel really good because you didn't, you know, you didn't perpetuate the myth that we charge for stuff we don't do. Meanwhile, what you did is you just turned around and flushed the tech's efficiency because, you know, I don't have, I well, that hour that was lost, you know. Yeah. That hour that was lost yeah. that we didn't charge for is lost for the for the day, right? And then at the end of the month, exactly. they're like, "There's eight hours there that, you know, well, where did that go? Mm-hmm. Well, you gave it all back to the customer. You shouldn't have done yeah. that." Yeah, we have so occasionally, probably every month or two, our owner sits down and runs the the reports and looks at build hours versus you know payroll hours because yeah. so it, the shop that I work in, everybody's paid an hourly wage, with the exception of mm-hmm. I think. Uh, the owner who was kind of like half tech, half service advisor for a while, and now he's kind of stepped out and back as into more ownership, except for he just bought a heavy truck shop. And so now he's doing the same half and half deal over there and trying. It's, it's a mess. It, 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 <sighs> the man needs a coach, but he doesn't think he needs to know. Like he's young. He's, he's, I think, I think he's 35. So, mm-hmm. It's it's hard because I'm like, dude, like just listen to this podcast, like uh, like nothing else. Just put it in your organ and listen to this podcast. I don't need that. So I would say by the sounds of it, that your 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 owner definitely needs some coaching. And you're saying the secondary owner, I guess we could call him that. He's now on to a business number two. He just said he bought a heavy truck shop. Yeah, yeah. So he's so our our owner is now owning two shops and kind of jumping back and forth between them. And it's, 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 it's frustrating for me for a multitude of reasons. But the first is that I am with any luck six to eight months out of relocating about a thousand miles east of here. And so I'm, I'm not one foot out the door, but it's like, I know that I'm not going to be in this shop long term. And I've had this conversation with, with, it sounds weird to say my owner, cause that feels kind of icky, but like the shop owner that I work for. Yeah. Yeah. I've had this conversation with him. And so 
I happen to know that if I wasn't moving, that he would really like to have me basically buy him out and take over the shop. Right. Which is hard because it's like, I, that's what I want to do. That's like the position that I'm walking away from here as a, a way to step into shop ownership is something that I've been working towards basically since I was a mobile mechanic. It's something that I've, I've wanted and want to work towards. And it's hard knowing that I'm walking away from that. I was pretty sure I walked away from it when I left my last job and came to the one I'm at now. Not an ownership role, but at least a, a management role. Um, this one is, is a, would be an ownership role, but this isn't where I want to raise my family. It is entirely too hot here, and so we're moving. There's a, a lot more that goes into that, but that's not a conversation for another time. Yeah. So it's hard because I will get, we'll hear about like, okay, well, your efficiency was, you know, over the last six months, your average average efficiency I had the the second highest in the shop at like 69.9% efficient. So that's clock time versus build time. And which is weird because the last time that I was working full-time flat rate, I was averaging 45 to 50 hours a week for a 40-hour week. Yeah. For a year. So- you know, like I know that I'm, I can produce it. And if you look at a, a single, like a snapshot job. So for example, I did a, did a water pump and a serpentine belt on a 2005 Ford diesel today. And that job pays two and a half, three hours and did a AC evac and recharge for an hour. So the whole ticket was like three and a half hours and I did it in like an hour and 40 minutes, the whole thing. Right. And that's pretty typical. But then there's all the in-between time and the what am I doing next and hunting down parts and all this other stuff that factors into this, not to mention all the free work. Hey, so-and-so is here with an engine to drop off. Can you grab the forklift and go unload that? And it's like, I guess. I mean, I get, I get paid the same either way. But then when I want to go to my boss and say, hey, I'd like to make some more money and how can we do that? He looks at the efficiency and goes, well, shoot, dude, you're not even, you're not even 70% efficient. How can I pay you more money? Exactly. And it's like, exactly. okay, it's because I'm doing all this free stuff. And it's, that's right. And so in the moment it's like, I get paid by the hour. And so it doesn't affect me. But then on the, on the other hand, when it comes time to talk about what that hourly rate is, he looks at that number and goes, well, you know, like you're not doing great. Now, if you stack me up against all the other techs in the shop, there's one of the tech that flags more hours than me. And it's because he's young. It sounds weird to say it's because he's young. He's young, he's gung-ho, he works hard, and he doesn't do any diag work. And he's just gonna say one percent more efficient than me. (laughs) So it's like it's not that I'm not a skilled tech, it's not that I can't work efficiently, it's that I get stuck on these on like stupid diags. I've got a we have a an intermittent concern on this truck that only occurs when you're towing. And so like I drove it, the guy says that sometimes does it when you're not towing, but it always does it when you're towing. I said, okay, cool. I take it. I drive it. I'm an hour and a half into a one hour diag. And it's like, dude, I got nothing on this thing. Nothing at all. It doesn't do anything. Like I hear a tire noise. He's complaining of an engine surge at, at highway speeds. I got nothing. So the advisor calls the customer, the customer, he's a, it's a dirt work company. They've got, equipment and trailers and more, multiple trucks. So he brings down a, a trailer and we hook to the back of this and, and I go for a ride with this guy. I'm like, dude, show me what it's doing. 
and we'll see if we yeah. can figure it out. Okay, we proceed to drive around for an hour and 20 minutes to get this thing to do it. And it kind of does it, but it's it's like a it's a short enough event. It's like a it's like a misfire, but it's on a diesel and it's so fast that nothing in the scan tool is catching it. And it's like, okay, I was already an hour and a half into a one hour diagline. And then you just asked me to go ride with this customer for an hour and 20 minutes. Now we're three hours yep. into a one hour diag. We're sure. a little bit closer to an answer because I've experienced the problem now. Yeah. But are we going to charge for that time? No. I'm not charging no. for that time. So, so what was like the point of my doing? days? Yeah. Because yeah. I think what your boss's mentality is, is I can't charge them for a diag until I give them a definite answer. And we need to, we need to stop that BS because yeah, like it's like you hear people talking about, right. They don't even like the word diag anymore because of the implications of what it means. Right. They've, you've heard them yeah. talk about that. Matthew Scunter talks about that. It's hours of testing, not hours of diagnosis because diagnosis is the end result. I give the person the diagnosis. That is the, that is the end. I know That's the now end what of the it line. is. The, That's not what That's we're right. doing at the beginning. I got finish. Yes. The testing is I'm still testing. I'm still duplicating. I'm still road testing, right? I'm doing whatever it is. I'm, I'm gathering evidence as we'd like to say. Your boss needs to understand that if the customer doesn't, he, first of all, he sounds like he's busy as heck because he is not charging. Oh yeah, enough. we're busy. And then secondly, yeah, great. You're busy. Yeah. You spent three hours to, you know, and you haven't charged anybody anything yet. You've gone on two different test drives yeah. for something that, let's be real, one in 10 people wouldn't even probably find what's happening. Uh, yeah. Nine out of 10 customers probably would not bother to fix it yet because it is not causing a big enough issue. Yes, and, it might be worrying them. But and it, talking these intermittent to this customer, it's been doing this for a year and it hasn't gotten any any worse or any more frequent in a year of driving. And it's like, dude, <laughs> if I had a crystal ball, you think I'd be doing this for a living? Like, really? I like what I do, but if I had that magical ball, that just you just look into it and go, oh, looks like you need a fuel injector, you know. Like, yeah, it'd be a, it'd be a different ball game, and that's and that's the thing is, it takes time to figure things out. It takes time to test circuits or whatever your your issue is that you're testing. Like it, all these things take time, and we should be charging for that time. And that's like I'll go and watch a a scanner dinner video, and. You know, maybe it takes him an hour and a half, two hours, because he has to go and and research a problem or he's doing extensive testing. And it's like, if Paul Danner, who is arguably one of the best diag guys on the planet right now, if sure. he struggles to do that, there is no reason that, like, you can't look at me and go, oh, well, you, you know, maybe that shouldn't have taken you three hours. That's that's a question my service writer asks, and I hate that question. Well, how long should it have taken us? It's like that's not a relevant question. Because how do you gauge that? No. You know? Well, you can't. You can't. How long would it... <laughs> uh, my rhetorical answer, which has always got me labeled as a bad attitude, is it's like, well, how long would it have taken you? Which, of course, is, is the same <laughs> quality of, of... Because they don't have an answer for that either, right? So it's not about exactly. how long it should have taken. It's like, how much time are we going to charge? And we're going to go up to that time. That's what we're going to give. If you're only going to give yeah, an hour... And there's... And an hour. 
right? If we spend, yeah. if we, if we're authorized for three hours, it's like Brian talks about, if you've got an authorization for three hours retainer for Diag, like Paul talked about in his video, you give them three hours. Now, if it doesn't take three hours, you don't charge them the full three, but it's a yeah, commitment to the customer. And a half. Yeah. Yeah. It's a commitment between the owner and the sh- commitment between the customer and the, the business that we're not in this to just throw darts at this. We're in this to actually get to the root of the problem. And at, exactly. we're going to need a commitment. If you're not willing to come with the commitment, we're not your facility. Somebody else down the road will maybe only spend an hour. And, and that's. Yeah. And tell you thing. probably that that line just, of maybe we're not the best, the best fit for you. That's yeah. something that is just like, it's like pulling teeth to get, you know, our, our front desk to say that. We had a we had what, a client so come in with a a fifty six Willys or no I'm sorry nineteen fifty Willys uh what was that thing it was like a, a Willy a Willys Jeepster body with yeah. a yeah. small block Chevy powertrain in a Toyota chassis like oh, kind of cool fantastic yeah I I mean it's cool I'll give it was not super well done but it was kind of cool but it's like that's not what we do you know we any that it came in for it had an overheating concern and an oil leak and i feel like there was something else but i'm i'm blanking on it and i like i got in and looked at this thing and the shop that put the engine in put it in in such a fashion that you can't do valve covers on a small block chevy because the engine is mashed into the firewall like it's making hard contact with the firewall. And I'm looking at this going, dude, I like this engine needs to be moved about an inch forward, which means we got to lengthen and shorten drive lines. We got to move tranny mount. We got to move engine mount. Like this is not something that we can do. Like me yeah. as Andrew, I can do this. I have the skill set to do this, yeah. but there is no way that we are like, this is going to take up so much time. And th- there's no way you guys are going to charge effectively for this. Like if, if I tell you, this is going to be a 30 hour ticket, you're going to go really, you mm. know, and that, that's when we should have turned away, and and it's hard because the the customer basically what he asked us was he's like I don't have anywhere else to take it. Can you guys just fix the oil leaks and and reseal the engine? And I'll pay whatever it takes. I just I need you guys have a great reputation. You're the only people I trust to do this. You work on my other cars. Can you just fix the engine or just fix the oil leaks in the engine? And so in my head, I'm like pull a small block Chevy out, reseal it, put it back in. Yeah. We can do that, right? So, uh, so then I at that point I like shifted. I'm like, okay, I advocate we should do this. It, it ended up being, it was weird. The shop paid, or he paid the shop, and then the owner paid me cash to come in on a weekend and do it. So it's like I'm doing side work for my boss in the shop on a week. It's it's it was a mess. So what it which was, I would not do could, again for the record. That customer didn't even want to pay the full, full pay the full value of the ticket, right? Which is, no, the customer was fine to pay the. The customer didn't have a problem paying it. The service advisor felt guilty charging him the full amount. So the, that again, was the thing that got me. Yeah, and did this the service man, the owner? He was okay with the service advisor doing this. Yeah, yeah. Then they're one of the same, right? He speaks for I, one. He speaks I for know. the other. I know, right? I know. It's, it's a, just it's an effort of pulling the plug out of the boat so the boat can fucking sink pardon my french i know and the point is that we don't want the boat to sink we want the boat to float and we want to provide that was something there was something that i think it was i think it was lucas said in, in one of his podcast episodes he was talking about 
you as a shop have to make money. You have to be profitable so that you can take care of your customers, right? If you have a customer that has a, if there's a problem with the vehicle or whatever, if you don't have any dollars to so, to fix your mess, your mistake or whatever, you can't do that. So like we have to be profitable so that we can take care of our customers so that we can take care of our employees so that we can have half decent equipment. We can't do work for free. I'm not at all opposed to you've got a really good customer that is in all the time. They spend lots of money and they say, Hey, I've got a, a check engine light. Can you guys plug into it real quick and tell me if I need to schedule it for a Diag or if I'm safe to keep driving it, you know, and it's, you know, five minutes, a tech walks out and looks at it and no problem schedule it for a diag. We'll see you next week. And then we charge them. We're charging for that time. Just not today, but it is getting charged. Like I don't have a problem yeah. with that. What I have a problem with is, Hey, can you go and, and do a quick oil leak evaluation on this car? Uh, it's just sitting out in the parking lot and uh, we're not, I'm not going to make a ticket, but just, just take a look at it and see. I, this is, this actually happened like last week or two weeks ago. I crawl underneath this truck. It's like, okay, your front, your front crank seal slash oil pump is just dumping oil. Let's yeah. start with that. Customer brings. Yeah. Now, again, this is like the truck is hot off the road. I crawl under in the dirt for 30 seconds. Give it a quick look. Go, okay, this looks like your big one. Fast forward two weeks. Customer brings in for the repair. I do the repair and it's still dumping oil. Now, that seal was leaking a sure. lot, but it's still dumping yeah. oil. Yeah. Well, why didn't you check that? Why why didn't you see the other oil leak that was also, you know, pouring? And it's like, well, first of all, I don't know if that one was leaking when I looked at it in the first place because I didn't look at this. I gave a, like a cursory glance and it keeps biting us like over and over and over. We'll do a quick look. We'll do something that's that's free. And then there's no record of it. There's no note that says, you know, I gave this a quick visual inspection on this day at this time. and. I observed this was leaking profusely. This is at the front of the engine. I recommend we start with this and then clean and retest for other leaks. You know, that little like paragraph would have protected us for when we call the customer and say, hey, Mr. Customer, you have another giant leak. It's going to cost you another four or $500 to fix. When we don't document things, it comes back to bite us. Sure. Because here's what, what, if somebody was to send me out, it'd be like, okay, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to look and make sure that the drain plug is not hanging out. And I'm going to make sure that the oil filter is yeah. not falling off. And if it's neither one of those two things, you can probably keep driving and you need to schedule in for uh, an engine shampoo and a leak evaluation, right? That's how, that's how it would proceed. Whether we put UV dye in it yeah. or whether it's a known thing like a vacuum pump on the, you know, six, whatever, what is it? The six, seven or the six, four, six, seven. vacuum pump. Six, seven, Six, seven vacuum, vacuum pump, pump leak. And it always yeah. looks like it's cramped seal and it's a vacuum pump. I've done a couple now. And if the customer doesn't want to pay the $150 or $200, whatever, for leak diagnostic, then I don't need that customer. Have a nice right? day. We don't need that customer. We're right, not but see, starving for work. We don't have tech standing around going, where's the next job? But Why are we taking action. in the free stuff? Because your boss and your service advisor team want to help people is is killing the bottom line because they're doing all this shit for free or discounted and then you sound like you say okay but we're making money and we're busy but you're not making a ton of money because he hasn't drawn a to b conclusion that i can't keep doing all this crap for free if i want to make the note that i'm supposed to make so he keeps thinking it's 
so he's an idiot and you're going to, he's going to drive up with more car count. I need a bigger facility, more car count because of the way we do business. Instead of sitting down with a coach and going, stop that. You're attracting the wrong type of customer. Yes, you have a great reputation. Yes, you do fantastic work. People love to come to you because you don't whack them over the head with a $150 Diag that is wrong. But what's the sense in telling somebody and giving them a free Diag if the Diag is still wrong? You might as well charge for the Diag. And then if the Diag is wrong, then you can have money to make it right. If I crawl under yeah. there real quick and I take a peek and I go, well, for sure the vacuum pump is leaking because, yep, it's, that's common. That's what they do. But say the valve cover leaking or say it's got an oil feed line to a turbo or something that's also leaking. But you can't see it because yeah. the whole engine's. So you go and put your vacuum pump in. That's <laughs> yeah. a $500, $600 job, right? It's a big thing. And then you yeah. go and, and pressure wash that son of a bitch off. And you sit there and fire it like Lucas will tell you. He used He was meticulous about this he put a piece of cardboard underneath it and sit there and idle for you know an hour and then he'd be looking at the cardboard to see if the car's still dripping off you go and do that and find the oil turbo leak line is is leaking well heck that would have been a lot easier to do when you already had the front of the engine off apart right fan shroud yeah. and state and all that yeah. to do that line. now what do you do now you got to go get the customer another estimate you probably got to discount that you got to or whatever hour, right exactly and, why? Because somebody didn't want to do a proper evaluation in the first place? How is that your problem? Andrew, that's not your problem. You didn't make that that's, decision. And that's, and that's the thing is like there needs to be a a way that a process with which we use to approach these problems. If a customer comes in with a, hey, my truck is leaking oil, especially if it's like puking oil. Like, I mean, there's just oil. Like when you're... <laughs> When your back bumper is leaking oil because there's so much yeah. oil underneath the truck, like I can't really do anything. We have to start with cleaning this thing because I'm pretty sure your bumper doesn't leak engine oil and no. your fuel tank's got but a drip under it, but it looks like engine oil. You know, I we have I to start with it and say, okay, we're going to, we're going to start with a cleaning. Once we get the cleaning, we're going to do an evaluation. This is going to cost you, you know, an hour for the cleaning and an hour for the evaluation. You know, you're going to be 250, 300 bucks. This is what it's going to cost to figure out what your oil leak is. And then the answer is, well, can't you just take a quick look? Yeah, you got an oil leak. Like, that's what you yeah. get for free. Right. Sorry. Or I can even do one better and I don't even have to look at it. I can ask you the, the three questions. Have you ever done X, Y, and Z before? Which are the known three offenders to cause the leak? You haven't done any one of them? Okay. The first one's $500. The second one's $800. And the last one we did was three grand. Is any of those sound above your budget? Yes. Okay. Let me shake your hand and get the door for you because you're already like, you don't have the money to have resolve a nice the day. Problem. This is not the shop for you. You just want I a piece of mind. Concept yeah, I think the concept of we are not the repair facility for every customer out there is one that a lot of shop owners are not quite ready to come to terms with. Oh, 50% like of them the are way, close. Yeah, like the way we have, we, have, we have a Christian Brothers franchise that opened up and they are blasting everybody with their, they get like the, like they mail out these, you know, oil change coupons or whatever they're running an oil change special all this stuff and my boss looks and goes that's whatever who cares and my service advisor who at, at one point in his career worked for christian brothers goes dude this works we should 
be thinking kind of more this way. And my owner's like, what other shops do doesn't matter to us. And that wouldn't work here anyway with our, with our customer base. And in my head, I'm looking at that going, why wouldn't you want the best customers? Why wouldn't you want the customers? Like we have customers that are, I don't care what it costs, fix it, fix it right. Use the best quality parts, get it done. Like, why wouldn't you want all of your customers to be like that instead of, you know, hey, can you maybe do this for free? Or we had one today. Dumb. The customer, allegedly. Now, I'm human. I make mistakes. I don't remember, like, the specific action of torquing the wheels down on this car. I know I take out a torque wrench for every car that I work on, and I am, like, pretty confident that I torqued these wheels down. The customer states that we left the lug nuts loose on this car, which is the car that I worked on. I put a, a power steering rack in a 2002, I think. It was like a Dodge Intrepid. The one that has the rack like up in the engine bay. Really dumb yeah. design. Really yep. dumb design. Anyways, customer says that we left the lug nuts loose and that caused a tire separation. He wants us to buy him a tire. So he... he I know, I know. You're thinking, like, how does that cause... It doesn't. It doesn't. So we said, just bring us the car. We want to look at the car and and see what's going on. So we get the car in. There is anti-seize in the lug studs because I'm thorough when I do this job and I put some anti-seize on so they don't break coming off. There is no damage to the studs from a wheel, you know, wallering against studs when it's loose. There's no damage to the wheel from studs being loose. And there is no scuffing of the little bit of surface rust that's built up on the brake rotor where wheel and brake rotor meet. There's no evidence at all that suggests that this wheel was loose or there was any movement between the brake rotor and the wheel while the vehicle was driving. That being said, the tire has a nasty bulge in it. Mm -hmm. The guy says that he took the when he went to put his spare tire on so he could drive the car that only one of the bolts was kind of tight and the other two were like almost all the way backed off which I'm that's a lie. That's a flat out lie because the evidence does not suggest that. But we look at this tire. So I don't know if you guys use DOT numbers on tires like we do here. Yeah. But yeah, there's a number on the tire and I can look at that tire and I can tell you how old that piece of rubber is. I don't know if you've checked the calendar recently. The year is 2023. This tire was sure. from 2014. Mm-hmm. So you've got a nine-year-old tire that has a separation that leads to a bulge. And you're telling me that's my fault. Mm-hmm. And we yeah. comp the guy a tire and put a tire on it for him and have a nice day. And I know that tire is only a $100 tire. Like, we didn't get him a nice tire, and it's not an expensive tire. But it's the principle of this guy is always coming back and complaining and trying to get stuff for free. Like, Well, can you blame him? At this point, right? You can't. I mean, he keeps is, getting it. Like, <laughs> exactly. Why would you not? It's like it's like you know me saying oh, I keep going back to that lake because the fish always bite. Well, hello. I'm going to keep going back to that lake. It's just right? common That's- sense. You're rewarding the customer for swindling you by giving him this shit for free. So then you get appalled when he comes back and asks for more free shit. I don't. It doesn't seem to make any sense to me, right? Why? Yeah. Why do we keep? And why do we keep doing this? And it's not just this customer. It's not because just you're, this customer. You're, it's like multiple customers. Owner, and it's like, why don't we just say, look, 
we didn't cause this. Here's the evidence that we didn't cause this. You keep coming back. We are not doing this anymore. You need to take your car somewhere else. We're not working for you anymore. Doesn't because I mean, I, like I get that maybe in the moment, that's a hard conversation to have when you're face to face someone saying, don't ever come back here again. But at the same time, we're running a business. We're not running a charity. I don't have any issue with being charitable, right? Like sure. if you want to go and yeah. do stuff for charity, more power to you. But when we're talking about a shop, we're talking about a business and that business has to be profitable so that you can choose to be charitable. If we're always doing charity work, you're not a business. Yeah. But see, they don't see it as charity work because to them, and this is the, this is the part that drives me. Like I, I sometimes struggle with this charity for them. The way I was raised was charity was whatever you felt like putting the offering plate on Sunday morning when it got passed around. That was charity. Sure. Charity was, do I want to donate to the food bank at Christmas time? Right. Do I want to buy yeah. a family yeah. in need? their kids some presents that's charity charity has no place here's the unpopular opinion charity has no place in business business and charity should be separate what i choose to do with charity is should be what i choose to do with it right now i understand you can make it and it's a marketing thing and it makes you feel good it's good for the community Uh, there's nothing wrong with that but if your people the work for you are going without that's a whole other topic. That's a then whole you're not whole thing. then you're not being charitable to the people that got you the funds to be charitable. You understand what I mean? Exactly. Exactly. You have the money to put yeah, in the I, offering plate because of what your people do for you. If you exactly. don't look after those people, I worked for a shop have- that that really had this dialed in, and they they had a they had a fund that the that the the shop contributed to this fund that was the i guess we'll call it a charity fund that was this there was money that the the company set aside each month that said this is money that we are going to put towards if we decide we want to do some charity work for somebody and yeah. customers were aware that they there were we, I, I'm not exactly sure how they set it up, but there was a way that customers could like round their bill up by a few dollars and 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 contribute those dollars to that charity pot. Sure. And they they had yeah. the system set up really well to where it didn't come out. It it worked well to where we did one or two jobs that were free to the customer, but the company got paid for them because there was money in this pot that paid that bill. And it was it was really well set up. Everybody in the community loved it. We there was one this one guy. We've been working on his car for a long time. He's been a great customer. A number of things happened in his life. I don't want to say his life fell apart, but like went through a really hard patch in life and his car broke and it ended up being that his car was not worth fixing and the shop was able to just give him one of our old loaner cars. And it was like, it was this big deal. Everybody in the community heard about it. Like this shop gave him a car instead of charging him to fix his car. And it was like, it was great for their marketing. And they set it up in a way that the business made money. And the business, because it was profitable, was able to take a portion of those profits and put them over into a charity pot and then use that to pay the business to do charity work. It wasn't, we're not charging for this. We're going to do this for free. Hey, we're not paying you for this. It was, we have some money here and we've, you know, elected to put that money to cover the cost of this ticket so the customer doesn't have to pay. And that, that sort of charity, I am a hundred percent on board with, but the idea that we should be going out and doing free work, especially when at the cost, uh, 
if your employees have, if you're asking, if you as a shop owner are asking your employee to go do something for free and then asking them to pay for, pay for their own time to go do that, that For to sure. me is just like it's you're just, you're at, at best you're just taking advantage of them you know yeah i don't get it cuz it goes back to there's like i said i've said before and it's again another unpopular opinion sometimes is that i feel like there's way more right now there's way more owners service advisors and managers that need to be taking training than everybody talking about all the training that techs need to take because the reality is, is I haven't taken much training that's actually recognized training. Now, did I spend a lot of time, you know, watching Scanner Dan or, yeah, sure I did. But in terms of like sure. sitting down in classroom and tons of, no, I didn't do it. I have a fundamentals that allow me to get to the end of the result. I can fix the car. It's, there's no question about that. I can fix the car. But I've worked for a ton of people that can't manage the business business the way it really should be managed and yet they always go back to that will never work here and it's we've always done it this way that's popular excuses number one and number two i can't tell you which one is yeah. number one and number two because it flips flops from week to week but it's oh, always yeah. one of those Absolutely. right so there's way more people out there that need to be taking management training business training advisor training coaching than there are techs that need to learn how to do the job better I mean, we can all bring our skill set up, but the reality is, is right now we have a technician shortage because people will not work for free. And we have a whole bunch of business owners that sit there and go, I expect them to work for free. Cool. You expect them That's to work ridiculous. for free. Where Nobody else does. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Where, where, not what other, what other industry is asking their people to drive to work, to have, I mean, depending on who you are, let's, let's call a round number, you know, 30 to $40,000 worth of tools of their own money that they had to buy and then say, I want you to do this for free and I'm not going to pay you for it. Like what other, what other industry does that? And I, I just, I cannot wrap my head around that. Like if, if you want to pay me an hourly wage and say, there's going to be things that I want you to do that are not production. And I know those aren't production, but you're getting paid for them anyway. And I'm not like, you're still going to get pay increases or whatever because you're bringing value to the company, even if it's not in production hours. It's like, okay, that's fine. I'm okay with that. But if my job as a technician is to produce and I keep having to go and do these side things, which I I don't mind doing. I really don't. Like, go in and help on the techs, which I think is the job of the shop foreman last time I checked, yeah. was that his job yeah. was to like help the other people make sure everything is staying flowing not my job now do i want that job yes but that's not my job and i got to a point of where it was like the shop foreman had the job title but i was doing the job with the exception of dispatching i was doing the job i show up early i open the building turn the air compressor on you know get everything up and running I'm the last guy there at the end of the day. I close everything down. I'm doing all, I'm making sure all the techs are, are working, working efficiently. If they have a problem, I'm helping them with like, I'm doing all of the, the jobs of a shop foreman. And then I get this conversation that says, Hey man, your efficiency is kind of, kind of dumping here. Like we gotta, we gotta bump this efficiency up. And it's like, mm -hmm. yeah, because I'm doing his job and my job. Yeah. You is know? your efficiency in the shop foreman or I guess it's not calculated the same, right? Because he's a foreman. So it's not probably calculated. It's it's the it's calculated the same as far as build time versus clock time. 
So we have because yeah. all the, all of our guys are paid hourly, they are our time clock system is completely separate from our shot management software. And so we can pull the from the shot management software. We use uh, Techmetric is who we're using right now. And we can pull a, a report of, you know, hours build within whatever time frame. And then we can go and look at payroll and go, okay, we paid you for this many hours and then do the math as far as efficiency there. So efficiency is calculated there. And my shop foreman is good, is very good at two things. Not not only two things, but two things that he's really good at. And that's front end suspension mm-hmm. and oh, dash. Surprising. Yeah, surprising. That's what I'm saying. He's like, oh, I just eat these front ends up. And I'm like, great, congratulations. Like, so can every other monkey out here. Like, you can do them a little faster than me. Cool. Yeah. I can do everything else way faster than you. There's a you know, it's like he does these two things. And so he'll get he'll get a front end that pays, I don't know, nine or ten hours, and he'll get it done by lunchtime. And he's like, Look at me, I'm being efficient. We're making all this money. Like, why can't you guys be this efficient? And it's like, well, dude, because I'm doing a four hour diet, you're charging an hour for. Yeah. How am I supposed to compete with that? Yeah, and there's a car out in the parking lot that won't start, and you can't figure out why. I can. Yeah. Shut up. Back to your alignment rack. Yeah. Crawl underneath it and pipe down. Yeah. Go back top. to your hole and hide. Right. And it, I've said yeah. that kind of stuff for years, and, it, and people get just appalled that I say it, but it's the reality, right? Congratulations, you're yeah. good at doing rods and struts. Fantastic. You're look at you yeah. swing them joints. At what a good boy. Now go out there and tell yeah. me why that car won't start. And you'd be out there all day. You'd be well, out there all the thing. week. Yeah. So you remember that? Yeah. You remember that? Uh, I, I know. I know. We're on this podcast, not listening to Tipping's podcast. But if if you listen to my episode that I did with him on the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast, the shop foreman and this new young tech spent a yeah. solid eight hours diagnosing this Malibu, and they concluded that we needed to sell twenty seven hours to pull a cylinder head and inspect yeah. for a valving issue because they thought they had a valve train problem. Now, yeah. I put an injector, or we, I looked at it, I, I made a bad call as an ECM. If you listen to the podcast, you'll get through all of why yeah. that happened. I made a bad call as an ECM, to which, to which my shop foreman comes over and goes, I told you it needed a cylinder head. And I was like, no, it does not need a cylinder head, and I can prove it. Let me poke this wire with the, with the scope, and I'm going to prove to you that it doesn't need a cylinder head. And we go through that, and I end up putting a fuel injector in it, and fuel injectors fixed the car sure. and my foreman and the, you know, our, our alignment and front end and dash guy, this guy, this, this stand up technician, uh, yeah. this guy spent eight hours and concluded we needed to spend 27 hours of the customer's money to pull a cylinder mm-hmm. head for a valving issue. Yeah. And yes, I spent two hours in Diag to figure this car out. Yeah. And yeah, we kind of burned a PCM on it. It was a $300 PCM that we burned on it. But we got the car fixed without pulling the head. Well, and sure. great. I'm so glad you can do front ends. You know? Yeah. And that's why I like it irritates me. We get, we get, we're in, I'm not sure how big the area is that you're in. We're, we're near, Phoenix, or I'm near, Phoenix, our shop is near Phoenix, Arizona. And so we get a lot of, I mean, our county has a population of like 6 million people. There's wow. a lot of classes that get offered through different parts vendors and Mm -hmm. i'm of the belief that i take every class i can get my hands on because i i want to be the best that i can possibly be that's why i spend time listening to you know the automotive diagnostic podcast or other things to like to sharpen my skills and to educate myself so that i can be better and so when we go to a class 
and usually I usually we end up taking most of the guys are willing to go to the class most of the time. But then we get done with a class to where I'm, I'm done. Like I've been, you know, chicken scratching notes the whole time. And I know that everybody learns differently. That's fine. But I get done with the class and I go, wow, that was like some really valuable information. I had a question. I went up, I talked to the instructor. Like we had a good discussion. I learned a lot. And my foreman goes, eh, that could have been an email. It's like, dude, you missed it. Like you missed all oh. the stuff because you're so arrogant that you don't think you need it. Like, right. why would I go to training? I already know that. It's basic. Okay. You but Andrew, a cylinder he, head for a fuel injector. He, he, thinks, he thinks it's basic because he thinks basic, right? So it, it's just yeah. sit him down in that class. It's already wasted. Your boss, when he wants to save some money, don't send him because he ain't getting, a, he's yeah. not getting anything out of it, right? So, yeah. And this is the problem is that, like, I'd love to sit. So what would be a great episode would be to sit down with your boss and understand, try to ask him why it is that he does this stuff. Because two things, either he never got bothered by the crap that he did for free, which means that probably nobody ever talked to him about efficiency and production. He didn't come up in this industry. He came up in the heavy, heavy truck world. And which I've worked in that. And I can tell. You just fix the truck. I would assume it's the you, same way. Yeah, it's same thing. I did it for years. So it's like they don't ever one that rolls in there like, okay, yeah, there's a, oh, okay, there's a clutch. All right, cool. We're doing a clutch and a Freightliner. Awesome. So there's a basic time frame of what that's going to take. But then every truck out there, no two trucks are the same. They all have stuff added to them, you know, material underneath, whatever, extra PTOs. All that stuff adds more time. Yeah. That's good. So there is no flat rate that says we're. this is what it should take to take the clutch. That lives in the dealership at the warranty time. And even still, the dealers, the OEs on the truck side are much better about just covering the friggin' tax time to get the thing fixed under warranty than to worry about production. So now your boss comes over to our world and thinks that all of a sudden he must have taken a course somewhere from someone that said, these are the numbers yeah. you got to look at and your guys have got to turn hours. And he goes, okie dokie. I guess that's how it's supposed to go then. No, that's not how it goes. See, because I, I just want to kind of say something. Is that like, when we talk about some of these things, it right. sounds like he's an idiot. He's not an idiot. He's just, Oh, I'm not. This is the way yeah. we've always done it. And he's made, and he's made money doing it. And he's, he's a very intelligent person, but he does. He thinks that all of the people that are, all these coaches, all of these people that are doing training are only doing that because they couldn't hack it as a shop owner or they couldn't hack it as a technician. Guys get into training because they couldn't be a good technician. Now, is there some truth to that? In some cases, I'm sure there is. But. Yeah, but definitely there. That doesn't mean it's like. So I one of the things that I kind of do on the side is I buy and sell trucks from like auctions. Mm-hmm. My favorite auction site is actually Canadians, the uh, Ritchie Brothers auction. I bought a truck a while yeah. back, made some money on it. But there's this line about auctions that says that, uh, that I think applies to coaches and instructors and stuff. And with auctions, it's not all the equipment at the auction is crap, but all the crap equipment is at the auction. And so yeah, it's like, exactly. it's a mixed bag. You can get some, you can get some, some not great instructors. You can get some not great coaches. But if you discount all of it, you're missing out. You know, it's hmm. like looking at freeze frame data. Nine times out of 10, the freeze frame isn't going to tell you anything. However, yep. if you're in the habit of never looking at it, that one time when it'll point you exactly to where you need to go, 
you're not going to see it because you're not looking there. That's right. It's not part of your process. It's a situation of when you go back, I want to go touch on that, what you said about the people that coach probably are washed out as tech, as shop owners. That's not the case. I can tell you that firsthand. Now, some of them, I think, probably saw much more lucrative. I can make a much better sure. wealth pile for myself by going into showing people what I did and how I made my my shop or my family shop successful. They can make it much sure. more, it's much more lucrative for them to educate people on how they did it. Cool. Great. Are there people out there that like probably the shop didn't do well? Yeah, maybe. And, and did they maybe learn after they got out? This is the thing. There's a lot of shop owners. I talked to a lot of yeah. shop owners that even got out of it and they're like, once I got out and I started to talk to other people, I realized why it didn't work and it was me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, and that keeps happening over and over and over again. People keep saying the same things and it's like, maybe just maybe collectively as an industry, the knowledge from these coaches that see, you know, cause like I, I know one coach and I don't know how many people that person coaches, but it's like for each coach, they see all these different shops, right? They are mm-hmm. looking at all these different shops, all these different processes different maybe different methods of doing things and they're looking at all this and and they have this this really great kind of big picture they have all this information because it's not just what they know in their shop and then when you get coaches that get together like the collective knowledge of people is always going to be greater than a single person's knowledge right and and that's i think the the hope or the goal of of podcasts maybe not necessarily this one but like the changing the industry podcast, which is to kind of try and like boil down and distill some of that knowledge into, you know, digestible size bites. But the idea mm-hmm. that I don't need any help, I don't need anybody else to tell me how to do this. I know how this works is just silly that you don't yeah. think that anybody else that collectively nobody else out there has any idea that might be better than what you're doing now. And see, the problem with this this industry is we could have shop owners that have failed, right? We could have shop owners that have come in and said, uh, I did this, this, and this, and it didn't work, and I failed. I ended up going, uh, who did I just talk to? And they ended up going back, and they're now an employer or an employee because the shop that they were running didn't last. They couldn't make it, they couldn't make it go, right? Yeah. We could have those people step forward and tell the cautionary tale and it would all be wasted because somebody like your boss would immediately, I think, jump to, ah, they probably didn't know what they were doing or whatever, or they were probably exactly. good, didn't, they weren't fixing the car, or they were charging too much. Instead of, and completely disregard the other stuff that they're saying. Just like he says, the coaches are our coaches because they couldn't operate a shop is the same attitude he's going to have when somebody comes up and says, Hey, my shop failed. They're going to say, yeah, but you were charging the customer too much. You were taking advantage of the customer. You uh, didn't have good techs and they couldn't diagnose shit. The two are linked. Your quality of your technician, your quality of repair is linked to how much you pay those technicians. You get quality talent. They do quality repair. You charge the customer enough money to recruit them and keep them. It's not hard to comprehend if you keep it basic, simple stuff. It's when it gets screwed up is when people start to make excuses 
for why they can't have that. And then when you have the excuses because you're letting the customer dictate how you should run your business, it's not their name over the friggin' door. It's yours. Yeah. It's your business. You run it, right? But see, we don't, yeah. we don't have and this. There's always, I have to give away so much free shit to get the customer to spend money. That's just the that's the hundred year old century problem that this industry's had. And why? I I because just cannot wrap my head around why you would not want why okay, like I get not everybody's greedy and I try not to be greedy. But like why if you were told if you if you knew that you could make more money and have less stress by changing the way you you know, setting up better processes by charging fairly for all of your work, why wouldn't you want more money and less stress? Right. Like if you just boil it down to those two things, I mean, the answer is because you have an ego and yeah. what I am doing works. And if I change what I'm doing, I'm admitting that what I was doing was not the best or was wrong. So let me tell you a story. We just saw a friend of mine in his shop. They ter- finally terminated the advisor that they had because he was literally crippling the business with not following processes, not doing, always wanting to help the customer, always wanting to, not charging for lines of diag, so on and so forth. I'll tell you the reality of that, what I think is, is that that owner will probably never want to do the paperwork to figure out exactly how much that nonsense cost him for the five years that the guy was employed there. Because then when you take that number and you write it out on a placard and you hang it around your neck and you stare at it, every day for a year, it would probably make most people throw up. But here's the reality. Yeah. We need to start doing that because it's just the same as when you make a mistake on your car, like that, like that Malibu, that wrong call is going to haunt you for years. You are never going to forget where you deviated from your process, where you went wrong. You're going to remember that car to your last day that you ever put a wrench on a vehicle, right? Well, why is it? That the tech carries that around, but the owner doesn't. Now, I'm not saying all owners, but this owner is not going to. He's not going to carry it. Like, he's going to know yeah. that he's never going to have the guts to say, shit, I should have listened to the other people in the shop that were telling me this guy was the problem. This guy was flushing the money down the toilet. And here's the thing from a... So I'll put my name up as a technician. I'll put my hand up. Do you wonder why some of us have the crappy attitudes we have? It's because when we see that money that you could have made and we get told, oh, I can't afford this piece of equipment or, oh, I can't afford Mm -hmm. a a Christmas party this year. or Oh, I can't afford raises. And everybody knows that somebody's not following the procedures and they're throwing money out the window. How many money on the table? That's right. Why does the mechanic then, technician, staff have to go without because of your pride. Well, you can say you have to go without. It's my pride because it's my business. Cool story, bro. Right on then. Good for you. You break your arm, pat yeah. yourself on the back until your elbows got tendonitis. <laughs> cool. The reality is, is those techs leave those shops and they go somewhere else. And what are you left with? Whatever you can get. Yeah. Sorry. That's just, yeah. I get and worked up. On and that's the thing. And, yeah, and people, shops don't understand, I think, or, again, when I say shops, I mean, like, 
generally speaking, generally not yeah. the people in like the ASOG group or, you know, yes. people that listen to Cecil and Lucas and David and like all that, that type of people are not who I'm talking about right now, but shops in general, they, they just have this thing of not wanting anybody else to tell them how, how to be. And they don't understand why they can't keep technicians around. And, you know, the thing that's kind of going around the internet in the last couple of years has been like, you know, the company buys pizza for people instead of giving them raises. Yeah. And it's like, yep. that irritates me. Now, that being said, love me some good pizza. We got a great pizza joint right down the road. Every time my boss buys it, love it. Now, that is only a good thing so long as I'm being well paid for my work. And and shops yeah. are losing good technicians because they're not willing to pay them. You know, the you look at the... I know you're up in Canada and so it probably is a little bit different, but you like here in down in the U S it's like, you look at how much inflation has gone up in the last, you know, 12 months or two years or whatever. It's like, you look at how much more money I have to spend every month to put food on the table for my family versus how much more money I'm making now than I was a year ago. And it's like, let's see here. So from when I started, so in the last two years, my, my pay has gone up by, I think, $4 an hour in, in two years. Mm-hmm. But if you translate that to like how much money per month that is versus how much more per month I'm spending on just groceries, forget fuel, forget insurance, forget everything else that costs money, just in groceries, yeah. that raise is gone. It doesn't exist anymore. And if we right. look at how much the cost of everything has gone up and my, my shop is of the impression that we really can't charge more money and we're our shop rate right now. I think we're at 110 bucks an hour. Oh, you're too the long. little shop. That's like three, three blocks down the road from us is at 135. The Christian brothers. That's 10 minutes up the road from us. They're at like 157. The dealership at the, you know, up the road, they're at 165. Like we are the cheapest shop with the exception of a couple of like little shade tree shops. We are the cheapest shop in the area. And I would submit to you, that that is not a good thing. Oh, I, I'm I. You don't have to convince me. Our I've been saying for the last year, our door rate at where I work is way too low. It's 120 bucks, and I see the people that are coming in, the kind of cars they're bringing us. That it's like old old stuff. It takes way too long. Mm-hmm. You can't you can't make the book time on it because, like I just said, that 96 Yukon is an example. Other yeah, because right? the doors it's, held it's, together with wood screws, not the original clips. Yeah. Exactly. Right. So all that adds time. So, but when you try to tell these people that you need to put your door rate up to prevent some of that coming in, they go, Oh, I don't, I, 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 we need that. No, you don't because it wasn't effective. It wasn't, it wasn't lucrative to have that customer. Now, if you'd have brought that customer in and explained to them that, okay, we're only $110 an hour, but like, say we use the 5% rule. What is it? What's the guys talk about? Like, Every year that it is over 10 years old, they add 5% to the labor time. Yeah. Right. Or 10% people. So a 10 year old car, essentially you double the labor hour to, to perform the repair. So I'd, after that point, big deal. You're only a hundred bucks. Cool. You're working on 10 year old junk. Now your labor times are doubled. Tell me you can't make money at that yeah. point. Of course you can, but they don't do that. So yeah. when you're walking around like you guys are at $110 an hour, you should be at least what Christian Brothers is, at least. And I would the reality so. is, I, is I like, think we're in a little bit like we're down 
we're in the not as wealthy part of, of town as where Christian Brothers is. But I, I think I think we should probably be in the vicinity of like 135 to 140, I think is where we should be, which is like, yeah. let's see, we're at 110. I mean, so, you know, $30 an hour more than we are now. And that was something I, I was being irritable and I can tend to get kind of irritable uh, from time to time when I get frustrated with stuff. And so I was, I was sitting in the, or standing in the front office and the owner and the service advisor sitting there. And I, and I just asked, I was like, guys, like, I know maybe I'm dumb here, but if we bumped our labor rate from 110 to 130 for a mm. week what would happen yeah. i'm like are we going to lose cut are we are we going to are we going to lose customers like asking i don't know i mean just like you deal with customers i don't i'm in the back fixing cars you know and are we going to lose customers and they both were like well no but we don't want to do that we can't justify that and i'm like what do you mean you can't justify it like that's the line my the owner uses a lot is well i can't justify that labor rate just because other people are charging it doesn't mean i can charge that and it's like how do you you know, we're scab. We are the like go-to alignment shop for everybody around here. All the other shops send their alignments to us, and we're rocking an old alignment machine from like that's still running Windows XP. Okay, sure. Yeah. <laughs> that computer is almost twenty years old, and we keep just kind of band-aiding along because we can't afford a new alignment rack. And it's like because you're only charging you know, one hundred ten dollars taking all the customers at Christian Brothers and everybody else doesn't want and they're coming to your shop and you already have a stellar reputation and your boss says you can't justify it. You know why you can't justify it? Because he's a flipping idiot. That's why he can't justify yeah. it. And your that's, boss, and that's, your owner. I don't want to call him out on the off chance he ever listens to this podcast, but I'll call it to, I agree. Give me the phone number. I'll call him tomorrow. Honestly. <laughs> and that's enough, right? At some point it has to stop. I mean, he doesn't have to listen to me. Who am I? I'm nobody to him. Right. But the reality is, is that I speak for a lot of people that think exactly the same way I do. The difference is I'm not worried about any kind of fallout of what I say, because there's a whole lot of people that think the exact same. Well, if I start to say it, other people are going to stay. And I can tell you after 10 years of doing this, talking to people online, talking about this industry, I can prove to you that it works because the changes we're seeing in the industry that are happening with more and more techs that are standing up and saying, I'm not accepting this and I'm not taking that. You know where that comes from? People that are in a group that hear somebody like myself say, you don't have to put your tools down, lock the door, go find somebody yeah. that will treat you the way that you should be treated. So I yeah, am that was pleased. something I see. I'm pleased that you've got only eight months left. <laughs> I'm I'm excited to find a new shop, and I'm excited even with with a new shop that I'm going to be going to where I'm where I'm moving to. Is I'm hoping to find a really great shop. Obviously, I don't want to work for a a crappy shop, but I'm I'm excited to the fir- we're we're buying land and we're building a house. So the first year is just I'm I'm working for somebody. I'm not even going to try to do my own thing. But once we get our house kind of settled in and squared away. I'm I'm hoping to start working towards towards either either opening a shop or buying somebody out or in some way moving into an ownership role so that then I can provide this environment for other technicians. Right. Yeah. But hang on, sorry. I had this great thought and it like totally like zipped up. Zipped up right. I apologize. Like one second, nope, this thought okay. will come back to me, I promise. Um so dude, it was a really I- great thought. I knew it was great. <laughs> Hold on. Dude. So what I can tell you what sorry, I want you to take from 
this, not just the the this episode, but when you walk in tomorrow and go to work, realize that everything that they're doing wrong is still the lesson that you learn. Okay. Yeah. It's the lesson what not to do. So when if you get yeah. to an ownership role, if you get to a management role, right? This is the lesson that you take Remember from those this. Things. I'm not going to repeat the sins of my forefathers. Right. I'm not going to yeah. continue to do it the way that it's always been done and make the same old tired BS excuses about why they can't work and that'll never work here and I can't justify it and all that other bullshit that your owner tells himself every day. And it's sad. It really is sad because, I mean, yeah, and I understand where it comes from. I'd love to talk to him and go, why are you not an employee and why did you become an employer? Because maybe if you talk to him and he can tell you that story, maybe you can get him to see why he's doing so much wrong. But I have a feeling that coming from the heavy truck background, where a lot of guys just got paid, didn't matter if they took too long, didn't matter. The customer sometimes got, you know, the full bill. Sometimes they just like, well, we had four days into doing that job. He's going to pay for two days worth of labor you know, that's still pretty good. Cause you got to remember sometimes the, the parts markup on that stuff can be really good. Sometimes it can be crap yeah. because when you deal with a lot of fleets, people forget sometimes with the fleet you're buying, the parts are coming from their account and they pay even less for say, like I know fleets yeah. in town that get Ford parts at a better price than I can buy Ford parts for. I'm the one bolting them on the truck, but when they come over here, they got dropped off by FedEx for a FedEx truck and it's on a FedEx account because FedEx buys the parts cheaper than I can. That's some BS. Yeah. We should be adjusting our labor rate for that. Do we? No. Nobody there needs to be a like certain that. amount of profit on each ticket. And whether if we're getting, if customers are supplying parts, our labor rate needs to go up so that we can still make our margin on it. I did, my thought did return to me and I wanted to circle back to it because I think it's an important point I wanted to talk about. I've always, I've always said that toolboxes have wheels for a reason. And, mm-hmm. It took me a while in in my career. The diesel shop I started at, I learned a ton. I like I I'm not unhappy for my experience. Or I learned so much, but it it was sold, and the new guy the new guy who bought it out was not a great. Honestly, neither one of the owners was were great owners. But right. I learned a tremendous amount. And there was a guy that had been hired as the shop foreman. Him and I just clicked. We were we we were we worked well together, and we were we became friends. And then they fired him because I something it was something dumb. Um, and we stayed friends and I remember him telling me like, you need to get out of this shop because you have never worked in another shop. You don't know how bad it is there. Literally anywhere is an upgrade from where you're at. And when I finally mm-hmm. pulled the trigger and moved, I ended up moving to knowing what I know now is the best shop in the region, if not the state. Like I went from not a great shop to a fabulous shop. And, and as I've gotten more confident in myself and my skills, I'm much more confident in being able to say, like, if I tell my owner to pound sand, we had a, a couple weeks ago, we had a, tr- a vehicle came in. It was a, it's a Chevy Express van with like a box truck on the back of it, had a pinion right. bearing in the rear end that just, it wasn't there. Like all the bearing rollers were gone and the whole pinion was flopping around in the housing. And it was, it was this giant mess that another yeah. technician started. He took it apart. And it was all in pieces and somebody had to put it back together because he went on vacation, which anyway, um, I'm a little upset about that because that was that was dumb. But 
my foreman was like, as I the the Dodge Intrepid that I had to do a rack in, he that same tech had started that job and then ended up going on vacation or he got something in his eye. I don't know what happened. He wasn't there to finish it. So I had to I had to clean up that job for him, which was a pain. And then they were talking about like making me do this rear end. And I told my shop foreman, I said, dude, I'm not doing that job. Like, yeah. and he's like, well, you know, and I said, no, if you tell me I have to do that job, I will lock my toolbox up. I will, I will drive home, get my truck. I will come back and I will load my toolbox up and I will leave. I am not doing that job. And he was like, oh, you might, you know, but <laughs> boss doesn't like it when you talk like that. And I'm like, dude, I'm not like, I'm not doing it. Give it to yeah. this guy or make the other tech do it. Like that's not happening. Like if, I'm at a point in my career where I'm very good at what I do. I have a very unique skill set when it comes to diesel stuff. And even, even irrelevant of that, I'm a fantastic automotive tech, just like on automotive stuff. If I load my tool tools up in my tool tr- in my in the back of my pickup truck and I drive around, I'm gonna be making more money by the time the sun goes down than I was making when the sun came up. Exactly. Boxes have wheels for a reason. If if you have a skill set. There's no reason you should put up with this kind of BS that some of these shops do. And again, fortunately, my shop foreman decided not to push the issue. And I really didn't want to have to go look for work when I know I'm leaving in eight months. But I really don't want to quit. I I really like my job. I've got a great environment. There's a couple things that need improvement, but I really like my job. I and I I'm going to be here as long as I can. But the idea that that technicians can't go find other work is something that I think a lot of technicians have. And it's just flat out. Not true. Like everybody is hiring right now. Let me remind everybody that's listening right now. You make a very good point and you talk about skill set. right now. Here's the reality. If you can show up on time consistently five days a week, showing up on time, It's, it's not even going to be like your your obstacle here for a lot of people, right? They will find work for you to do. And you might get into the right place where they'll set you up for learning more. And you'll develop the skill set to be just like Andrew here or myself or whatever. But right now, if you could show up on time, don't sleep for your friggin' alarm clock. Come in the five days is supposed to a week that you're supposed to be there. I guarantee you, wherever you leave today, you will have another job by the time you go home if you do the work to find it. Just ask the yeah. tool driver, tool truck driver, who's hiring right now, and he'll tell you to go over. You decide you're going to get fired. You decide you're going to quit. Stop there on the way home. Tell them, can I bring a resume Good. tomorrow? And you probably they'll yeah. probably say, don't even bring the resume. Just bring your tools. That's how bad it is right now. Okay? That's, and, and that's then the, and and show up on time and and work hard while you're there like yep. if you do those two things alone you are ahead of like i don't know 80 percent of the people out there which is yeah it's frustrating to say that out loud sure it is. right sure like it is. the the way that i was raised is that showing up on time and working hard was like the absolute bare minimum like yep. that was the the very bottom of the barrel that's what you did and yeah. and now it's like if you do in my head what's the bare minimum you're like the star guy, which you're is exceptional. on the one hand convenient for me because like I already do that and more and so I'm like now I'm the favorite guy, but I feel like technicians so often get comfortable where they're at and it's like there's things that annoy them there's things that kind of get under their skin 
but hell, you know, it's a job and I need to make a paycheck. And it's like, I, I understand that. And, and you do, but everybody needs, everybody needs technicians right now. There's not, there's not a single shop that I'm aware of anywhere around me that if you walked in and said, I have, I have some experience, I have some tools and I will show up on time every day. And here's people you can call to verify that that'll, you know, vouch for me being on time yeah. and working hard that wouldn't offer you a job on the spot. You know, how much are you going to make? Obviously I can't speak to that, but there are, there are jobs out there. There is not a reason for you to stay in a horrible environment or even a less than ideal environment. Like, yeah. When Snap-on makes toolboxes, they put wheels under them, not blocks. Yep. It has wheels. Roll that thing out the door, get it on a tow truck or whatever you've got to move it, and move it. You know, you don't yep. have to put up with this sort of stuff. Exactly. I uh, I want to thank you for coming on tonight. I really appreciate, you know, uh, everything you've had to say. I know it's got, I've gotten ranting a couple of times and, uh, and a little worked up, but I mean, it's like, you're the first person I've talked to that really has, you know, is, is coming forthcoming with the reality of what the shop is. And I'm not trying to listen. I don't want to say that you work in a, in a bad shop. I just, at the end of the day, I wish better for all of everybody. I wish better for you. Yeah. I wish better for your owner. I wish better for everybody that is employed in this industry. That's why I'm doing this. So it's if if he should ever listen to it, I apologize if he feels like he's called out. But the reality is, is that he has a lot of work to do and a lot of things that he needs to fix. And I feel for him because when you leave and take that skill set with you to go in eight months time, mm-hmm. it is really going to have an effect on the kind of work that they can get done. I don't think the shop's going to close down. I don't think no, the shop will close. No, I don't think close. so, but my but my gonna, my absence is going to be felt for sure. And that's not and that's not me being arrogant, although I have a tendency of being arrogant, so I apologize if that comes through. But it's not it's not cuz I'm so full of myself. But what I bring to the table as far as a skill set is valuable and not just what I bring to the table in terms of my technical ability. Right. My ability to help other technicians, my ability to help to work with other people to solve problems is not something that is really matched with by anybody else in the shop. I mean, with with maybe the exception of the owner. But if the owner has to step back into a full time employee, you know, production role, Mm -hmm. that's not a good the rest of the business suffers because of that. So I, I, I sleep well at night knowing that if I leave, I'll be missed. Yeah. And, and that's so what I hope that we can do is that when you do get settled and where you head from here, that you'll come back on and you'll fill us all in on, on what is, what is, what has happened. You know what I mean? How wild I mean, that's that transition is. Yeah, I, absolutely. Really? I'm, I'm, ex- I'm excited about it. It's, it's a little, it's a little, uh, it's intimidating. I think sure is. even, yeah. even for me, who's done it a number of times I've, I've switched shops. I've worked for six or seven different shops some of which were because of my own choice because they weren't great and i chose to move on and some of which were i i i relocated four years ago i moved about a thousand miles to where i am now and lo and behold the desert's hot and i don't like the heat i've decided so (laughs) we're moving somewhere it's not quite as hot and so I've, i've changed shops it's still intimidating to to try to find a good shop it's like in a perfect world you know I mean, the problem is I'm where it's funny where I'm, where I'm moving to is like about 
two and a half hours from where David's shop is. And I'm just, and I, and I'm like, hmm, two and a half hour commute. Like I don't, uh, I can't quite, I can't quite swing a two and a half hour commute, but maybe, maybe there's somebody I can find that's got a, a shop near where think, I'm going. Yeah. I think he, good. he can trip. Like, I think the way he approaches the business and the way he will, it's like Lucas, right? We, we joke that North Carolina is like the epicenter of really well-run shops. You know what I mean? If people are forward thinking and, yeah. and whatnot. And it's because the whole industry aftermarket wise seems to, and, and, you know, it seems to come out of North Carolina for whatever reason. And I think that's great. I think, you know, there, David will have the effect in his area too, that will be felt. And I think that's a good thing. So, Hey, if you could do me a favor real quick and like comment on and share this episode, I'd really appreciate it. And please, most importantly, set the podcast to automatically download every Tuesday morning. As always, I'd like to thank our amazing guests for their perspectives and expertise, and I hope that you'll please join us again next week on this journey of change. Thank you to my partners in the ASAR group and to the Change in the Industry podcast. Remember what I always say, in this industry, you get what you pay for. Here's hoping everyone finds their missing 10 millimeter, and we'll see you all again next time.